Uh, it has been an exciting opportunity to watch how God has been using Jacob and Sarah Franklin in Taiwan and beyond for these past now 15 years. I can't believe it's been that, that long. Uh, we had the opportunity to send out Jacob and Sarah when they left for the mission field. We've had opportunities to go and be with them there in Taiwan and experience firsthand some of the great things God is doing through them. We're always thrilled when they can be home with us in stateside assignment. We're glad to have had them here these past few weeks. Uh, I'm trying to find out if, there, if this has ever happened anywhere else except at National Heights. As far as I know, it hasn't. We ordained Jacob via Skype. He was in Taiwan when we did his ordination service, and I, I don't know if anybody else has done that. There probably has been, but that was an exciting opportunity. But last Sunday topped it all when we got to see Jordan and Keeley baptized. What a great day that was. It's thrilling to see all the wonderful ways that God is working through Jacob. We were When we found out he was going to be here, uh, it, it it was immediately apparent to us exactly who we needed to have as our missionary speaker as we kick off our Lottie Moon Christmas offering emphasis. Jacob, we're glad you're here. We're thrilled through your ministry. We're looking forward to how God's going to use you today. Well, good morning, church. Um, thank you. As Vaughn said, it is, um, it's been a pleasure to be back home for the last couple, I guess, weeks, uh, months, however long we've been back uh, since the end of July. And, to really be able to just spend time with our church family and uh, with Ralph and Harriet and uh, some of my family as well. And we're actually heading out this week to go and spend a couple of days with my sister in Raleigh. And, and um, to, to be able to, to stand before you today on a, a day where we are kicking off um, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, it's just a privilege for, for myself and, and, um, and just the way the church has supported us the last 15 years has been unbelievable. Uh, as I think back, as Sarah and I were newlyweds, um, you actually, before we even got married, you welcomed this stranger from uh, North Florida, also known as South Georgia in our parts, into your community and your life here uh, with open arms. Um, I think it may, some of it may have been, had to do with how wonderful Sarah is and the fact that she was uh, born and raised in this church and uh, grew up here and, uh, and the heritage that you planted in her own life as she uh, studied and learned about what God was doing around the world and the missionaries that have been sent out by Southern Baptists um, all over the, the world. And, and God used that time in this church to specifically call her to the nations. And um, just thinking of the heritage that this church has of supporting um, our, our family, but then also uh, those that we call friends and colleagues all over the world. Um, I don't know the exact numbers these days, but somewhere around 35, 36, maybe 3,800 missionaries um, are serving, um, sent out by Southern Baptist churches that a lot of them Christmas offering and the cooperative program support. Um, I think about our own family, uh, the fact that uh, we can we can buy homeschool curriculum for Sarah to teach the girls um, and raise them up, um, knowing and loving God, but also handling things like math and science and history that I don't want anything to do with, and I let Sarah take care of completely. Um, I think about the fact that, you know, both of our daughters were born in the mission field and Southern Baptists helped pay for uh, the, the hospital bills and delivery and things like that that took place. And um, I think about our home uh, that we live in and that we open up routinely to invite people in uh, to be a part of our lives that are paid for by, you know, this church and churches like this one. And, and so what we do overseas could not be done um, as easily as it is done without the support of, of our church family and, and other Southern Baptists. So on behalf of the, our colleagues, I just want to say a huge thanks. As you um, spend the next few weeks praying how God wants you to give specifically to our work, but 
even more so, thank you for the way you continue to support us um, through emails and Facebook messages and um, just asking how you can pray for us and walk beside us. And so um, Lottie Moon says, and you heard a little bit about her this morning, she's about this tall, or was about this tall, um, really tiny lady who loved the Chinese people dearly uh, to the point that she sacrificed her life for them. Um, Sacrificed her own personal well-being so that she could reach out to the families around her. Um, sacrificed um, in a time when singleness for women was not something that was um, thought very highly of. Sacrificed uh, just that desire to, to serve the Lord, and regardless of what that meant on a, on a cultural level for her. Um, the fact that she actually convicted the hearts of men and women uh, as she wrote letters back home, calling out the church to send more laborers into the, into the harvest field. Um, asking where are the men, where are the women, where are our churches at, where, where, where are the people of God, why are they not here? And really, uh, through some of her letters, she wrote back, started a revival, started a movement of people being sent out um, to a place that Sarah and I have called home, and specifically in East Asia. And uh, so for those who don't know, our family, I'm sure everybody does, but there's a photo that will come up. So there's Sarah on the left, there's Jordan and uh, Keely and myself um, and uh, on in a little park uh, that we were visiting a couple of weeks, uh, I don't know, sometime this year when this picture was taken. My hair looks different now. It always changes uh, every so often as I get bored and move on. But, um, but yeah, so that's our family. And um, it's been really neat to, as I think about missionaries, I, I heard about missionary stories growing up, and, and we tell them in the church. We often tell about the men and women who have been part of missions, but we don't talk about the children who've gone with them. And, um, you know, one of the greatest joys that I've had since we've been, probably this year, probably, definitely, would be uh, the opportunity to baptize my own daughters, um, you know, right behind me here last week. And um, to see how God has even used them on the mission field. I, th- I think specifically of Jordan, how um, as their big sister is out playing soccer um, and practicing and Jordan's team has finished up and they're just the, the younger kids are hanging out, how Jordan goes and, and starts conversations with her teammates and her friends and to the point where she even asked them if they've ever been to church and had they, you know, heard the, who Christ is. And um, just, you know, as a nine-year-old, um, making sure that people that are in her life have an opportunity to hear the gospel as well. Um, it's just, those are stories that don't get told very often, um, how our own children are, are making impacts around the world as well. And so, um, yeah, so our job uh, is a little different than some other uh, missionaries are sent out. Um, we primarily are, are focusing on mobilizing uh, college students and young adults um, to East Asia and to go and work with teams all across the affinity. Um, this past year, we had about right around 800, 820 or so students that Sarah and I were able to, to help facilitate coming out to the field. Um, part of that is actually training and equipping them when they come out. And so these are a couple of our groups that have been out. Um, and, and it's just amazing to me as I continually watch how God is at work among um, our college age and young adults um, within the Southern Baptist world, how they routinely say, I don't, I don't care about spring break going off to Daytona Beach, or I don't care about my summers being, you know, taking a job, or I'm even willing to take a semester off from school or, or whatever so that I can go and, and share the gospel with people I haven't heard. And I think about a, a team specifically in the city of Chengdu. Uh, one of my dear friends, he and his wife and their, their children serve among um, college students, among an uh, specifically among unreached people groups. Their whole desire is to see students come to faith and then uh, send them back to the unreached people groups that they come from. And so as they've come to the main city there to study, they reach them and they disciple them and send them out. Well, their entire team 
is made up of uh, the national partners they have, but then also about a dozen college students who Sarah and I have walked with in life uh, who are now serving and said, I, I don't care what it takes to come back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to serve um, alongside uh, you know, the teams that they were working with and make sure that people who haven't heard the gospel have a chance to hear and that we equip them and we send them back to the unreached places, the hardest places, the places where a foreigner can't necessarily go to. I think of a girl named Chloe who uh, is a, is a, stu- a school teacher down in Florida. Um, she's, so she's already graduated school, uh, college in the workforce. And uh, this past summer, she wanted to do something intentional with her summer. Instead of just, you know, taking a break as a, as a teacher, she said, I'm going to go do something with my life. And uh, she came over and spent, time, spent eight weeks in southern Taiwan uh, with one of our teams there. And at the end of the summer, she comes to me and she goes, Jacob, this is what God wants me to do in my life. I've got a year left of contract. I'm going to go home and finish it, but I want to come back. And so this coming July, she'll be back on the field for at least a year, if not longer. Uh, where she says, I've got a, a career and I'm, I'm happy in it, but I'm more satisfied in what God has called me to do with my life. And so, um, so Sarah and I get just the joy of doing that. Uh, we, we love mentoring students, um, whether that be um, just through these trainings. And you can see me smiling sort of crazily. I think there's a cheeseburger coming in front of me. That's what I'm really smiling about. <laughs> but actually, uh, just sitting with these guys, the guy next to me is an 18-year-old uh, taking a gap year um, in between his uh, high school and college. He said, I want to go and serve the Lord, and I want to figure out what, what the calling has in my life. And to be able to sit with guys like that and be able to talk to them. The girl in the middle there on, to, on the right-hand picture, her name is Megan. She served in Taiwan, or sorry, in China for six months through one of our mentoring programs. And uh, sometime last year, I sent a message out to all of our alumni and said, Hey, Sarah and I um, are just feeling overwhelmed with the, the role that God's given us, and we need some help. And wondering, you know, specifically in the, the efforts of mobilization, as we've been partnering with a, with a number of, of camps and, and, uh, and other things, initiatives we're trying to get started to see more and more students come out. If anybody's got some skills in, like, graphic design and web development and things like that, would you come and spend light your life with us for a little bit of time? And, I think within four hours or so, Megan messaged. She goes, hey, I'm graduating, and I have no plan but to serve the Lord, and I want to come serve alongside you guys. And so for the last year, Megan just served right, right alongside our family, and, uh, and just really to be able to walk with her and watch her grow in her own walk with the Lord and her un- own understanding of what God's uh, call in her life is. And um, as she's now back in the States, taking steps to, to come back on a, on a more permanent basis in the future, somewhere in the world where God wants her. It's a really just extreme amount of joy that God gives us um, to be able to walk alongside um, students like this. Um, one of the other cool things that, that we get to do is to help uh, be advocates for uh, what God is just doing all across East Asia. And um, it wouldn't be like me if I didn't stand up here and, and open the Bible a little bit. And so um, if you'll turn your, in your scriptures to Luke chapter 5. Um, a couple months ago, I guess back in March, I was able to take a trip into China with some leaders from uh, Lifeway. And uh, we've been partnering with a uh, huge camps um, for the last couple, last two or three years. Um, and really that partnership means that we get to share with about 50,000 Southern Baptist, primary Southern Baptist uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers about what God's doing in East Asia and the role that they could play and being a part of that. And it's been really encouraging to watch as, as these students over the last few years have given almost half a million dollars to the work that we're doing specifically in East Asia, um, that at camp they say, I'm not going to buy a soda or I'm not going to buy you know, some sort of gift from the gift shop. I want to intentionally use the money that I brought with me in order to make a difference in the world. And we're seeing some of these students come overseas with us. This past year we had a few 16- and 17-year-old 
high school students who said, we're going to come serve this summer and alongside your teams because uh, we know that God wants, wants to and will use us as well. And so really just seeing the fruits of our efforts of, of communicating what God's already doing and inviting um, students to be a part of it. Um, so this past March, we wanted we were expanding that to the center kids. So if any if you're uh, that's basically all of our elementary age kids, uh, we wanted to to make sure that they also had an opportunity to hear. So some of the leaders came out. But as I was um, preparing for this trip, God had brought me to a passage that He was going to, to uh, visualize and make a sort of a real life example for um, as we were we were traveling around China. And so Luke five eighteen through twenty six, and I'm just read it and. I'll share a little bit of my thoughts, and then I'll, I'll share some more stories. But So just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he, that's Jesus, said, Friend, your, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, "What are you thinking? Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. So in this story, there were some guys or a group of friends who said, um, my buddy, my friend, needs what Jesus has. My friend here has been laying on this bed paralyzed. Um, and in a time like in the biblical times, there's no life there. There's no resources to support um, that kind of life. He just was there. And, and didn't really have anything to go. But his friend said, I know somebody who can take care of your needs, who can meet the needs that you have. And so they pick him up on a stretcher. And I can imagine going through the streets. I've been on the streets in Nepal and, and uh, some other places as well. And there's streets like that that are, remind me of older times, not nearly as developed as the streets that we have out here. I know that even just walking perfectly fine is it can be difficult as you dodge potholes and cows and you know whatever else you find in the street and so imagine a group of guys carrying a guy on a stretcher and and streets like that the dedication they had said i know someone who can take care of your needs so they get to where jesus is at and they can't get in they can't get their friend to christ and they said i'm not going to let that be an obstacle my friend needs Jesus, and I'm going to make sure he hears and he gets to see him. So they climb up to the roof, and they're hauling the stretcher up. I'm not sure how they did that, because I guarantee you it didn't have wheels like the ones we have in ambulances. Uh, the one I got to ride in, in a couple, couple of weeks ago as I cracked my head open on a trip to San Francisco. And, and, but uh, to imagine just the, the, the dedication to take him up onto a roof. And then when they get there to say, well, it's not my house, but I'm going to destroy the tiles so my friend can get down to Jesus. And then lowering him down, making sure that their friend got access to the one who had the answers for his life. So my question for you today, and the, the question that God has continually used this passage to remind me is, who do, who do I know or who do you know that needs Jesus as well? That needs us to say there's no obstacle too great for us to make sure that this person, this friend, 
this colleague, this brother, this sister, this mom, this dad, gets access to Jesus. And I love that Jesus uses this opportunity of one, he, he, he healed them. Sins are forgiven as well. And then he also uses it as an example to say, I'm who I say I am. I am the Son of God. Not only can I forgive his sins, but I'm going to make him whole again. So the guy stand up, walk, go and go home, and he did that. And I can imagine the rejoicing that took place as that happened. The same rejoicing that takes place when unreached people groups hear the gospel for the first time. Or cities see their first churches planted among them. So this past March, uh, with, along with a huge folks, um, I was able to go out into, um, uh, into China and, and to, to share with them about some amazing work that God's doing that they wanted to be a part of and they wanted to highlight. And so um, I had, uh, we had a group of, of folks from the States, um, some of the LifeWay leadership who came with us, and uh, we were able to, and I think it's the next picture, you could see a picture of them as we're eating, um, well, I don't know what we're eating, but we're eating something. Um, I can see what it is. I just don't know what it was. I was putting it in my mouth. But uh, that's often my life. I just eat what's put in front of me and praise the Lord that it doesn't get me sick and move on from there. But we took them into this village uh, that you'll see on the next picture here. And this village is uh, literally on the side of a mountain. Um, and the, the only way to get to the mountain is to drive on a road about the width of a car. And you're hopeful you're the only car that's going that direction. There's none coming back down because then it gets complicated. Um, and so we went up this mountain because we had heard a story that we had to go really get, just go see and with our own eyes or and hear with our own ears. And this was uh, not the most uh, fun adventure that I've been on. Um, there were, we, because there, was, there were quite a few of us, we had to take three cars. So we had a, uh, two vehicles that were equipped to go up the side of a mountain, one that wasn't. You should never take a minivan up the side of a mountain like this. Um, I've learned the hard way. Um, and we had a driver who had never that we had uh, that was driving the minivan that had never driven on the side of a mountain before. So there was a whole lot of bad going on at one time. And um, there were as we're going up this mountain, um, it, it took about 10, 12 hours to get just all through the mountain and up to the village we were going to. And at one point, uh, I, I learned that our uh, wheel was hanging off the the road for a good 10 minutes or so. At that point, we decided that driver was no longer qualified to drive us, and so they put me behind the wheel. Um, and I'm a guy who drives in a city of 8 million people, and so um, I don't know how much more qualified I was. Um, but we, so we, we started going up the mountain, and then, you know, a few hours in, again, driving a vehicle, not qualified to go up this mountain, our clutch gives out in our car, in the minivan that we're driving. And at that point, we're like, Lord, what are you going to do? There's no mechanic on the side of a mountain like this, I promise you. Um, there's... There's nothing we can do to fix this. Literally, when I would push the clutch down, it would just go all the way down. I mean, it was gone, completely gone. And um, so we said, we know one thing we can do. We can ask the Lord to intervene. So we said, Lord, we feel like you've called us to go to this village. and You've called us to go and, and, and uh, take the group that we, we have with us to go so that they can come back and communicate the story back here in the States. And, Lord, we want to go visit with the couple that we're going to go visit. They've been anticipating our visit to come. And, so, Lord, if you want us to be there, you, you've got to fix this clutch. So we prayed. We prayed some more. And we kept trying. And within about ten minutes, the clutch was fully fixed. And we were able to continue our journey up the mountain. And we finally get there. And I praise the Lord many, many times that I did not fall off the side of the mountain. 
Um, we, so we get there and we meet this couple here. Um, the, on the top, the top two, it's Mr. and Mrs. Lee. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Lee are the, uh, live in this village that you saw. They are the doctors for this village, or he is the doctor for this village. And uh, I don't mean he has specialized training or anything like that. He just happens to be the one that people in the village come to. Um, and it has been for a long time because he and his family were the ones who um, the spirits, the evil spirits, and would, um, would listen to. And so if you wanted healing for someone or you, you're sick, your kid had broken the arm or had a runny nose or um, had you know, parasites or whatever, you came to this guy. And he's the one who called on spirits to come and heal you. And if you were good enough, they would heal you. But if not, they wouldn't. And for most folks, they were never good enough. Um, and so we, one day, Mr. Lee and Mrs. Lee, their, their own daughter, got sick. And there was nothing that the spirits had for them. Uh, but there was a guy, Mr. Wong here. who's the one on the bottom. He has the Bible open with them. Mr. Wong uh, is, a, is a church planner. He's a national partner of ours who um, desperately desires for unreached people groups in his own country to come to faith. And he was about two or three villages over, which means two or three mountains over, and he heard about Mr. and Mrs. Lee and the need that their daughter had for medical treatment. And so um, he said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, and I'm going to make sure that we do whatever we can as a church. And so he, Mr. Lee, Mr. Wong went and visited Mr. and Mrs. Lee, and... Um, Long story short, their daughter uh, was, her health was restored because of the intervention that um, Mr. Wong and the local church in that area decided they would take. And so I come to find out the sickness was coming from this water that they were drinking. Um, That was their natural water source. Um, They would go down and get buckets of water and they'd bring it back up to the village. And um, I met uh, Mr. Lee's niece. who would literally walk about, uh, she'd have to take about two trips a day, and each time it was about two hours round trip to get down to the stream and back um, to, in order to get water. And she would carry it on buckets on her shoulder um, just down to this water source. And so if you look at the water, I think you can see it. It's pretty nasty. And I, I wouldn't even, I don't want to touch it, let alone drink it. And so this water source was causing, um, causing their sickness. Well, through Southern Baptist Giving, We've uh, been able to develop this great water filter system that costs about 20, 25 bucks per, like per filter. And we've given them to our national brothers and sisters, a local church, and said, hey, as you guys are going into these villages, communities, maybe God will use this as a way for you to get access. And so this water filter that Mrs. Lee is uh, using here uh, basically just takes that nasty, dirty water that they still get from. By now, we've actually been able to pipe it up to their village, but... Um, that they get, they get, and they, they filter it through this, basically looks like a clay pot that you put flowers in. And then the dirty water goes in, clean water comes out. And uh, through things like this, by loving on this village and on this community, Mr. Wong is now welcomed into this village. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Lee realize that they, um, through the love that's shown them through the church, and by hearing the gospel, that they are in need of Christ. And so Mr. and Mrs. Lee decided to give their life to Christ, along with their niece, who's also uh, chosen to follow Christ. And now three believers in this village that two years ago had never heard the gospel before. And that's done because Southern Baptist missionaries and our GCC partners have said, we care about the lost. We care that there are people around the world who have yet to hear the gospel, and we're going to do something about it.
And as a convention and as a group of churches have said, we're going to give towards that so that we no longer have to deal with the reality of people not hearing the gospel. So we make up this village, and, and I hear the story, and um, this village has been reached simply because Mr. Wong knew somebody who knew Mr. and Mrs. Lee. And I had just been reading this passage about there's a friend who knew somebody who needed Jesus. And they sought out how to get their friend to Jesus. And the same thing here. A friend, someone knew Mr. Wong that knew Mr. and Mrs. Lee and said, they need Jesus. Will you help them? And they said, yes. And so God used this, uh, this particular story of hanging out with this brother and sister to remind me, who do I know? Today I ask you, who do you know that still needs to hear about Christ? Who do you know in your workplace? Who do you know in your schools? Who do you know in your neighborhood? Who do you know in your own families who have yet to understand who Christ really is? And At the end of the night, uh, we were there all day long, and at the end of the night, uh, we were able to sit down with Mr. and Mrs. Lee and, and have a meal with them. And, and Mr. Wong gets up there about twice a month. It's a pretty long journey. Um, I said about 12 hours to get up there um, through windy roads, and we were able to sit down and, and, um, and have church with Mr. and Mrs. Lee. We now had had more believers in the village with our presence than they'd ever had in the existence of that village that we know of. And so we said, we're going to sit down in the middle of this village, and we're going to break bread together, and we're going to study the word together, and we're going to worship the Lord together. And so... In a minute, I, I somehow, for some reason, decided to pick up my phone and just record us worshiping the Lord together on the side of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, China, um, in a home of the only believers in that village. And uh, we'll let you hear that. But as, you, as, we, as we play that in a minute, the question I want to ask you and, and really challenge you today is if, if you still have this little sheet of paper, and I, I say this one because it's got the most blank space on it that you can actually write down, if you would pull it out for me. And the question I have for you today is, who do you know? Who do you know that still needs Jesus? Would you take a few minutes as we're listening to this, this time of worship here and write down the names of people that God has placed in your life that you need to take Jesus. You need to take them to Jesus. You need to make sure that they don't go another day or another week or another hour without hearing that God loves them and he sent his son for them. And that this holiday season that we celebrate and that we um, rejoice over is for a reason. Think about our brothers and sisters who are living all over the world in some hard, really hard places. Thinking about who they know. They ask that question every day. Say, so wake up in the morning. Who do I know today that needs to Jesus? And how do I pivot my life to be placed into theirs so that I can be the one who shares it with them? As you're thinking through these names, the people that God has placed already in your life, ask the question, how can I pivot my position or my place of work or my relationship with them so that I could be the one that takes Christ to them.
And as we think about 150 college students who are preparing to head overseas all across East Asia, I'd ask that you pray for them as historically God has used this time, particularly two weeks over Christmas break, to see thousands and the tens of thousands hear the gospel, many for the first time. This past year, about 300, 350 people were added to the kingdom of God simply because students were obedient. And they said, I'm going to do something intentional with my Christmas break. And so as we prepare for the next Christmas in China season, would you pray specifically that God would bring people into their lives that will respond, not only hear the gospel, but respond to the gospel for the first time. And as we're in Lottie Moon season, I would ask that you would pray, how does God want you to give to further the cause of what God is doing around the world so that more and more missionaries can go serve, so that we can get access to more and more places like this remote village in the middle of nowhere, China, so that the gospel can go to places it's never been before. Let me pray for us. Father God, we enter into this season um, just with pure joy. Joy, Father, that someone made sure that we had the opportunity to hear you, hear about you, and respond to the prodding that you place in our own lives to, to come back to you, Father. So, Father, as ministries take place in our church, in this city, Father, in this nation and around the world this Christmas season, Lord, we would ask that thousands upon thousands of people would hear, respond to the gospel, Lord. And Father, as we've written down names of the people that we know that still need you, Jesus, Father, don't allow us to be complacent. Don't allow us to say, well, maybe tomorrow I'll tell them, or maybe the next day I'll tell them. Father God, we want to be obedient to tell them today. Lord, I thank you for this church and the way they've supported our family and our ministry. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless them as they continue to, to serve you, Lord. I pray this in your name, Father. Amen.